0: Welcome
1: to the Lean Into Love podcast, a spiritual, self-compassion podcast and space devoted for you to find greater inner freedom, connect more fully to the world around you, and cultivate a deeper spiritual connection to a higher power. I'm your host, Gina Velez, a performer at heart, wellness enthusiast, self-love coach, and current grad student slash therapist in training, I have spent most of my life searching for ways to come back home to myself, back home to the wellspring of love. Along my journey, I have found transformative practices and met some incredible teachers. I now want to share it all with you because, as Ram Dass once said, we are all just walking each other home. Let's embark on a journey of heart-centered exploration, vulnerability, and expansion. Together, we'll navigate the intricate dance between love and fear and discover the limitless power of the human heart. When we learn to love ourselves unconditionally, we radiate that love outward, making a profound difference in our relationships, our communities, and the world. The journey starts now, and I'm thrilled to have you by my side. Let's begin. On today's episode, I interview my friend and former colleague, Elise Arndt. Elise is a multidisciplinary artist whose talents run the gamut from acting, singing, and dancing to teaching and coaching. She and I were introduced through a mutual friend many moons ago, and as life would have it, both circled back to the same area at around the same time, allowing us to reconnect and form our own friendship. Most recently, we taught at the same arts school and it always made my day to see Elise in the halls. Every student Elise teaches loves her, and I should know because I used to hear it firsthand, and it always made me so happy, as she brings her wealth of experience and passion to the arts and wellness and to everything she does. We discuss her navigating the winding road of life as a performer, teacher, and her journey with sobriety, or rather, sober curiosity. Elise and I both decided to break up with alcohol at around the same time, and it's been so helpful to have a friend walk a similar path. We inspire one another, hold each other accountable, and just laugh about the absurdity of it all. (laughs) I hope you find her perspective on things enlightening and motivating. Enjoy. Hi, Elise. How are you?
0: Hi, Gina. I'm good. Happy New Year. How are you?
1: Happy New Year. I know. I can't believe we're already in the thick of 2024. Wild. I Wild. know. It is.
0: It is kind of crazy. Where did this last year go? I don't know. I feel like I'm still like 2020. That's me. I just <laughs> just perpetually am in 2020. So we'll see. Maybe one day I'll catch up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like
1: you and a lot of people feel that way. Sometimes mm-hmm. I do too, where I'm like, where did that year go? And um it's kind of like this cycle of of not remembering what year it is and then being yeah. like oh no we're here and then just like i think i lost a year of my life and totally um, i think <laughs> they're they're now neuroscience and i could be totally lying about this but neuroscience has now said like no
0: this is an actual phenomenon
1: it's pretty true
0: yeah. We, cause everything changed. So I feel like it, mm-hmm. you were like, huh, I don't know exactly where I am or what I'm doing, but not, it wasn't all, it wasn't all terrible, but it was definitely right. a, an, a time to be like, oh, time and space mm-hmm. are different than they used to be. Cause we're all in our houses. Yeah. <laughs> just existing yeah. in a different kind of time. <laughs> yeah.
1: And like you just said, everything has changed. Like the life mm-hmm. I knew before is no longer. And now I have a new normal totally. And so how do I move forward in that um and change is traumatic. Like that's why we don't like change. <laughs> as
0: right. Humans. And we like as a globe, we went through like global change. So it was like traumatic for everybody, which is really scary, but I think also in a way everybody was kind of like leveled to the mm-hmm. same um place. And it was, it was unifying to some degree to be like, we all are experiencing this, you know, and we're all going through the same thing, which is like the first time, at least I think in our life that that had ever happened. Um, yeah. but yeah, w- wild. So whenever the new year comes, I think about the new years before 2020, like the 2019 into 2020. Cause I just feel like that was before. And now this is like every year kind of seems after.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. I get that. Um, do you have any New Year's intentions or um, even
0: rituals that you do around the new year? Um, I, uh, yes. I mean, it's kind of shifted, I feel like, year to year, especially the last couple years. But I always try to get outside on New Year's Day. Like I try to do something outdoorsy, like go on a hike, go on a walk, do something outside with friends because um, I just feel like celebrating nature is like a big part of the new year for me has become a big part of the new year for me um and then i love to make vision boards i just i just find it really creative so even if like the vision board is a little bit more like i don't know uh out there than maybe what my actual year is going to look like i just like the visual of it i love spending time like cutting out magazines i feel like as kids that was something you know arts and crafts i like to arts and crafts so get crafty <laughs> so i i uh did that, which was really fun this year in Tahoe with a friend. Um, But I try to do those two things, um, which are the most like (laughs) TikTokable. Everybody's making a vision board on TikTok. So (laughs) fitting in with my demographic.
1: (laughs) That's great. Get arts and crafty while creating a vision board
0: of what you want to make happen in the the next year. I think that's great. And I try to pick a word for the year. I, Mm -hmm. I do like to do that. So my word, I had two words this year, but it was intention and intentional. So like intentional time with people, intentional choices, and then also soulful. Like soulful choices, soulful time with people, things that just feel a little bit more grounded and less like chaotic, I guess, is really where my brain went when I was thinking about vision boarding. So uh, yeah, that's my goal this that's, year. <clears throat>
1: that's a those are two great words. I especially love intentional. Mm-hmm. Um because I think we, it's so easy to kind of coast and forget even why it is we're doing certain things in the first place. Um, but to just really come back to, okay, what is my intention? And then how can I be intentional with my choices, with my words and my actions? Um, that, that
0: really helps go back to your, your ultimate vision and that vision board that you were just talking about. Yeah, totally. Um, and I think intentional time is something that we've, Not we've lost the art form of but we have there's been so many distractions I think with technology and devices and how busy we are in the modern world there's less intentional time spent doing things so I have been really trying to make that a priority when it comes to like friends or hanging out with family and being like, what are we going to do like let's set an intentional plan or practice around this like hour, even if it's like 30 minutes, an hour. Right. And that has really shifted a lot of my relationships, I think in a good way, but you have to make it a priority because it's very easy to kind of just like be, like you said, like coasting and checking out. Um, So I really want to bring that into the new year more and more.
1: Yeah. You
0: mean doom scrolling isn't intentional? (laughs) I mean, social media surfing. my doom scrolling is definitely, and I can intentionally put that time in, 15 minutes of doom scrolling. Oh, I love that that perspective. Yeah, because then you're like, look, I'm allowing myself to do this. It feels good. We all have vices. If that's your vice, I think there's worse things you could be doing, <laughs> you know, so yeah, it's true. <laughs> but the two hours, I sometimes will catch myself and it's been like two hours and I'm like, I've watched 150 videos of dogs and... Oh, <laughs> and 75 <laughs> recipes like I love the yeah. cooking videos <laughs> me <The> too <laughs> It's so good. It's so soothing. It's
1: like the ASMR, and you're like, I'm gonna make this
0: dish one day, and then you never do. Yeah, no, and I'm never gonna make it like that. I'm never. I I want the sensation of like the sounds and the cool Tupperware. Like I yeah. love when they're like undoing the Tupperware. Yeah, it's weird, but and the the vibe is super super moody, and you're
1: like, yes, I'm I'm yes. with this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although yeah. you did make um, Elise made me a fantastic batch of cookies this Christmas. Not just me, but like a bunch of friends. And so I was very honored to be a recipient of that.
0: And um, those are some great cookies. (laughs) <laughs> See that is where the doom scrolling comes. It there was a positive side to it because I saved all these cookie recipes with my friend, and we were sending them back and forth. And we were like, "This is fine. We're validating our doom scrolling because it's not really we're bringing people joy with the cookies." So, <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, you sure yeah. did.
1: Yeah,
0: for like days. Everybody, that joy everybody loves to get a tray of cookies. <laughs> yes, yes,
1: definitely. So my sugar free diet went out the window. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, I need to live my life. Yeah. Um. Okay, so we just hopped right into things, and I love it, um, mm-hmm. but I do want to share with the audience a little bit about who you,
0: Elise Arndt, are. Well, um, I am a multidisciplinary artist, I would say, and a teaching artist, so I come from musical theater background. I started performing when I was really young. My grandmother was a professional performer. My grandfather was a professional musician, so I grew up with this kind of just understanding that like art and music and um, just the idea that like creating things was a way to connect with people in your community. So that was really awesome because I know not everybody grew up with that mindset. Um, But yeah, I really knew like from being, I think I was like five when I was like, I'm going to be a superstar. (laughs) And I literally said that my mom was like, cool. Um, And yeah, I just really... I love to perform, but I think as I got older, I realized that what I, I loved rehearsals. Like I've always loved rehearsals. And I think what I love about rehearsals now that I'm older and I kind of reflect is like, it's this intentional concentrated time where everybody has the same goal. It's like, we're working towards doing this show or we're working towards putting on this concert and everybody's in it together. And it's like this chunk of time that that's all your focus is And I think what I, now that I'm now I can like dissect it, but I was like, I think I really liked that at a young age. Cause at school, it always felt like we were doing a lot of things at once. Like, even if it was like math class, we were like doing math class, but we also had to like prep for the English test. That was the next block or like, there was all this, like, you were always preparing for something else. And I felt like rehearsal was kind of this sacred time where like, that's all you were doing. And I loved that. Um, So, yeah, I have a musical theater background. I went to college for musical theater in Washington, D.C., and then I moved to New York right after I graduated. I had always wanted to live in the city. It's like my favorite place. Um, And I moved to New York, I think, yeah, six weeks after graduation. And I was there for, I want to say, seven or eight years. I can't remember, but around that time. Um, And I really discovered teaching in the city. I had worked a lot with kids, um, in college. I was a nanny and then I started as a camp counselor at a theater camp in DC. Um, I had worked with kids in high school too. Like I had done a couple internships with like music programs for babies, like mommy and me music classes. Um, so it's like, it always was there and I always felt connected to younger kids. Like I always loved being around them. I didn't get annoyed by people's younger siblings. Like, you know, I wasn't that kind of teenager. Um, Mm -hmm. And so in New York, I was nannying and I was like, I really love this. But I also was like wanting something that combined arts because I would do it as a nanny. I would like come up with arts projects. We would like put on plays with the kids. Um, And so I discovered kind of teaching artists work because I would talk to older theater um, professionals and they were like, Oh, I also am a teaching artist. I teach at the school, and I'd never heard the term teaching artist before. I remember thinking that I was like, I never, I don't know what that is. I just thought you were like a teacher or an artist. <laughs> um and yeah, there were people that I met who had made kind of like their whole parallel career with performing as a teaching artist. And so I started to really dive into that and seek out those opportunities. And so I started teaching for a small company. We would go into schools all over the city and it was mostly little kids so like kindergarten first and second graders so that's like really how i started teaching and then it just kept growing and um i was teaching older kids i was coaching a little bit on the side um coaching kids like on their auditions for school um and now I'm like a teacher at the Orange County School of the Arts and also with Segerstrom Arts Center. um. And I have my own little private practice where I still teach kids and I'm still performing. So that's a very roundabout way, but there's a lot of stuff that happened in, in between. um. But it's kind of all led me to these two, uh, I would say these two careers.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. And I I guess I hadn't realized how much teaching you had done in New York and how yeah. little- the kids were that you were working with mm-hmm. when when you first started teaching what were some of the um, hardest things that you had to learn i guess some of yeah, the challenges
0: think, i think it's interesting because i feel like i've always commanded a room <laughs> of children and like i've always had that ability which is really nice and i do think there's some of that is just like natural energy There's some people that kids naturally, I think, gravitate towards. And I think I have that. Um, But something that I really had to think about was like really breaking things down. Like if you're working with a kindergartner, you're not trying to teach them like Meisner acting technique. (laughs) You're trying really? to teach that. Yeah. You're trying to teach them how to get up on their feet and be confident on their own and say a sentence that is four words, you know, you're, you're giving them these like life skills. So I had to shift. It's interesting. Cause I think what I loved about art class as a kid and like drama class was that I had teachers who oftentimes would say, you know, I don't care if you're the best. I just care that you're you're getting something out of this that will translate into your everyday life. Like I had teachers who kind of said a variation of that along the way. And so I always carried that with me. And I would see in the kids, like little kids, you know, from the beginning of class on the first day to the end of the semester, just how they would come out of their shell. So I think something I just had to do was like just taking away the expectations of like what you're trying to prove to the adults almost like I think sometimes with teaching we're trying to make the adults happy but it's like not about the adults it's about the kids (laughs) so I had to kind of always remind myself like if the kids do the show and they forget it halfway through like who cares that's not that the point of it is not to have a polished product the point of it is that the kids are getting up every day or every class and growing a little bit more. Right. So I think that was something I had to like, let go of was just the expectations of the adults versus the kids are always very different in the education world, I think. And I think at a young age, I learned that because I was going in and teaching at these pretty elite private schools in the city. And they were people who had paid, you know, $50,000, $60,000 a year for their kid to be in kindergarten, which is crazy. And (laughs) they, you know, we would be doing like Rainbow Fish, the musical that we like wrote on our own. And it wasn't going to be... Like we weren't going to have like pyrotechnics and we weren't going to be, you know, it was going to be about the kids just like getting up and being confident. And so I think that was a hard thing in the beginning, was just kind of fighting, fighting the system, but, um, that, and also just management of the space with young kids, you have to be so, they like need a routine. They need quick, they need you to be really quick on their feet. I think preschool, kindergarten, first grade teachers are like the best teachers because, that you have to learn to break everything down to the root ground level Mm -hmm. version of it. And you have to be so like, so adaptable in a way that's different when you're older, teaching older kids, because with older kids, like they have the cognitive ability to be like, I did something wrong. I need to like, figure it out myself. But with little kids, you like, if you have 25 TK kids, like, you're in charge of the room. They, they can't make those decisions. You have to do it for them. And you also have to like, kind of steer the ship. Like if things are starting to go, you know, haywire, you're like, okay, let's pivot and do a completely different activity that I didn't plan, but let's just do this so we can get ourselves back on track. So I think I learned a lot of those skills really early on in teaching, um, which has helped me a lot.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's almost like hurting cats. And he's 100% that. Yeah. Yeah. You just need to have a bunch of those tools in your arsenal to be able to adapt in the moment and just be like, hey, these kids are not listening. This exercise is not working for them today. Um, they've had, you know, a break from Christmas and now they're all hyped up on sugar. We need right. to do something that's going to get their willies out as opposed to bring them in. Let's make them calm. They're just not going to respond well to that.
0: Well, and also I think we'll, we'll talk about this more about like, it's just not about you. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's the thing is like the teacher ego is similar to like the performer ego is similar to like the yoga ego. It's like all the same. It's like, it's not about you. Like if you're in service in your job, like my job is in service to the kids, technically, even as a performer, I've always seen it as being in service to the story. Like, I think that is just a different way to view it. I know some people that's not how they think of performing, but like, if you are in service, then you have to let go. Like, if they're not going to want to do the breathing exercise and you get upset, you're upset because you didn't get what you wanted. (laughs) And that's, that is like, okay, but that doesn't work for them. Like not every class is going to be able to sit and do a body scan. I you would know, say most classes are not going to be able to. Yeah, like you get one <laughs> in a blue moon, you know? Yeah, uh-huh. like, yeah, um, yep, exactly. So I just try to remind myself, like what is the most in-service thing I can do for the class at this time? Mm. And that's, I mean, that takes a lot of patience and there's definitely time when I'm not doing that and when I'm like, I'm gonna pull my hair out,
1: you know? Mm-hmm. Like we all
0: lose it. But I think, I think a lot of teachers would benefit from just reminding themselves of that, that like, it's like hard, but it's just not about you. So like, you can't take things personally. You can't like, you can't be upset if the things that you envisioned didn't go your way because you're, it's not, it's like you have 20 personalities in the room and sometimes (laughs) that's not going to happen with adults and with kids, you know? Mm -hmm. I think that's a great parallel just to the- Uh the rehearsal. <laughs> is
1: that cozy? Hey, cozy. Um, The rehearsal and even the performance process of recognizing, you know, this really isn't about me, even if I am the quote unquote star of the show. This is about me being of service to a, a larger cast and the audience and the story that we're telling. Um, and so when you can kind of just check that, that ego at the door, that's when collaboration and co-creativity can take place.
0: Yeah. And I think co-creativity is something that it's interesting how many parallels there really are with teaching and performing, like at a root level, it's just like, you are getting up and putting on a show.
1: <laughs> like mm-hmm. yeah,
0: It's basically. not, I mean, you ha- kind of have to, like, yeah. you have to keep them engaged. Like you mm-hmm. have to be entertaining to some degree Mm -hmm. you know I think that's why so many performers teach because I Mm -hmm. think they're good at they're good at that um the co-creativity thing also is interesting because I think I never thought before I never thought of teaching as like you're co-creating in the space but you are you are like co-creating with your class to some degree hey sorry my dog is crazy
1: (laughs) But can you please tell everyone what her name is and um, why you named her that?
0: Okay, so (laughs) who she's named after? Full name is Cosette, um, the character in Les Mis, the musical. (laughs) And um, she is a Chihuahua Jack Russell Terrier Pomeranian mix, and so she's barky. And we're working on it, but maybe (laughs) like recording a podcast with her in the room isn't the best idea. She's done it before though, so she's great. We love it. We love our our special guest. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely I think, going off of what you were saying, the in the rehearsal space and the teaching space gave me a lot of tools to become better at the other, if that makes sense. So, like mm-hmm. in rehearsal, I would learn things that would be better for teaching. And in teaching, I've learned so much about being a better performer, a hundred percent. And the yoga world, which is like a third thing I do, but I I kind of discovered yoga um, from a place of needing space to just be still. (laughs) And I think, especially as performers and uh, people in the arts, I think we have a lot of chaotic energy in our head that is hard to like harness. And so yoga really gave me that space to like be present and mindful and thoughtful. And then I ended up getting my yoga certification. But that practice has completely changed And become like a really foundational way that I do teach, I would say. Like I try to use the basic principles of yoga, like mind-body connection, your breathing techniques, your ability to like move through feelings physically and emotionally and mentally, spiritually. So I think there's like a trifecta there for me that's really worked, but it has been a journey. And I think there's a lot to be said with the wellness Side of yoga that has maybe kind of got lost in translation as we've like made it a, you know, corporate workout. Um, (laughs) I think it's lost some of that but I try really hard to bring in the foundational practices of it into the classroom because it's just so good for the kids and it's so good for artists it's great if you're in a show I mean to be able to come back to your breath and come back to grounding techniques and to have a way to get yourself in the zone I think for me that that is like yoga so it's like having that is such a tool across the board
1: yeah like even right now as we're talking I'm I'm finding myself like okay drop into your drop into your center let go release your belly because that always helps me Mm -hmm. feel anchored and um instead of like, okay, what do I say next? Or um, if you're in the classroom and you're teaching, you're like, did that go over well? Did they understand it? You know, you start to clench up or you start to um, disassociate for lack of a better word. And so, as you said earlier, giving them life skills Mm
0: -hmm. in
1: the rehearsal process, giving them life skills via mindfulness tools that will serve them forever and they don't even realize the seeds that you're planting they're just like oh we're having fun we're doing this like silly you know breath work right. exercise or we're doing this silly acting game but it's like you're really teaching them how to stand on their own two feet how to trust themselves so that they can make bold choices on stage and if they fall if they fail and they quote unquote look like an idiot <laughs> which you don't you never look like an idiot no. but in your head you think oh my gosh i looked like an idiot really what you're teaching them is like, okay, I made that choice. It didn't work. Let's try something new. And that is both in our, our lives and then on, on the stage.
0: Well, and the, the idea of being able to trust your gut, I think Mm -hmm. like trusting your intuition is something that also has been lost more and more because we are being, everything's being outsourced. Like we can go on the internet and find an answer for everything. Like you can Google, like, should I move to Atlanta?
1: (laughs) You know, I've done that. But it's like
0: you can I've done that. But you can like go online and seek outside validation or outside input for every single thing in your life. And we didn't used to be able to do that. We would Mm -hmm. just have to be like, do I want to go on this play date with this person? Yes or no. You know, and you would have to trust how you felt. Like, do I want to be friends with this person? Do I want to go try soccer? Do I want like, and I think they it's like, it's amazing because they have so much at their fingertips, but also they do lack the ability to make these decisions on their own and to have like these, this like autonomy in a way. Um, And I think the trusting the gut thing is something that I've always, I've always had a really strong gut feeling and I can look back and see the times I listened to it and like the outcome of that versus the time that I didn't and like the outcome of that. And I think it's, it is, really helpful with these grounding techniques to just be able to tap into that part of yourself Mm -hmm. Um, and that i hopefully that's like what they're getting but i think with all arts classes at the root of it is like we're just trying to make them be able to express themselves express themselves in ways that are really authentic and that again with Mm -hmm. the outsourcing that's happening it's really easy now to like kind of create a whole new identity and that can be really cool but it also can be really detrimental if you aren't actually honoring who you are and i think a lot of the kids struggle with that um, mm-hmm. i
1: yeah. would say especially now like i know when mm-hmm. we were growing up it was definitely something that we were experiencing but would you say now that you're working with high school students it's almost
0: extremely prevalent yeah and i also think there's just this pressure that's compounded because they are seeing, um, again, with like the social media and the images, like I think about myself as like a 33-year-old woman and I see the images on Instagram and TikTok and I feel immense amounts of like self-doubt and pressure and like, oh, my life doesn't look like that. It's always that, that Mm -hmm. like, you know, comparison. And I think for them, it's like their brains aren't fully developed. (laughs) They... (laughs) Like they're just not fully developed, so no, they are no. taking in this information and seeing these like seventeen-year-olds who are like I don't know building a, like a yoga studio in Bali, but while also <laughs> getting their PhD. And I'm like, that's not real, you know? Like, yeah. Um, yeah but I, right. I but I think there is there's that quote, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. <gasps> Wait, you know? Elise, I, that literally popped into my head as you said it. That's so crazy, <laughs> but it, it's true. It and is. I think for them, there there's a lot of thieves of joy all, all mm. the time because they're on they're on the the screens. It's like I feel like I sound so old cuz I'll be like put your phones away. But it's like because I want them to pro- I want to protect them from what I feel. Mm. Too. Like I feel yeah. it too. Like I I have to delete Instagram and TikTok and Facebook from my phone like every week. I I mean, sometimes (laughs) I do it every day. I wake up, I delete it. And at night, I re-download it to have my like 20 minutes of scrolling and then I delete it again. But like Mm -hmm. if you have to do something like that to protect yourself, you have to do it, you know. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I definitely notice it with the older kids because they're seeing in real time, they're seeing – kids get into colleges they're seeing kids book jobs and they're seeing it happen instantaneously
1: there's mm-hmm. not even like a
0: trickle down effect of like how it used to be when we would we would hear from a friend of a friend that they got into school or we would right. like it's like it's on the internet so they can see it all how it's just there's no protection of like your emotional well-being that way. No. <laughs> like,
1: and then there's so much of it too. It's so like we're much. inundated with all of the people who are living their best lives. And mm. if we watch one video, then the algorithms are like, oh, you like that? I'm gonna send you more of it. And you're like, right. But this is all making me feel really bad about myself. Right. <laughs> As opposed right. to which the the antidote to all of that feeling of feelings of worthlessness or I am less than is gratitude Mm -hmm. is to be so grateful for what you have and not what you don't have and it's really really hard to even feel into that gratitude when all you're seeing is what you don't have
0: a hundred percent yep
1: I, yeah. I, like you said, I experienced that all the time. I, I experienced it the other day. I was like feeling really good about myself. I was like, yeah, we're like in this gratitude flow. Everything is great. And then I went on social media and I saw someone posted something that I was like, I, you know, my life is nothing now. It's not, it's not even anything compared to this. I'm terrible. Like all yeah. of these thoughts. And I thought, whoa, okay. I've got to go meditate and stop these thoughts. Before they fester because this will bring me down. Old Gina would have let that happen.
0: Yeah. And I think there's different ways to, you know, I think I used to get really trapped in this idea that there's one way to, to do, to meditate or one way to get yourself out of something. And it looked a certain way. Like it looked like the yoga woman, like sitting on the mat with all the candles and the sage burning (laughs) and like, she's so, and like that does work for some people, you know, like that sometimes it does. And for other people, it might be like going outside and like going on a walk, or it might Mm -hmm. be like blasting like Beyonce and dancing around your kitchen. And I think it's like giving yourself the freedom to find the tools. Like that's still Mm -hmm. what I say to the kids is like, there's not really one way to do this. Like there's not one way to be an actor for sure, but there's also not really one way to like approach a song because you're the way that you deal with sadness is going to be different than the next person. So if you're singing a song, that's like a sad song about loss, it's going to be different coming from two different perspectives. That's just the reality of like how we feel emotions. And I had to get really, I would go, I would go, I remember, especially when I was teaching yoga a lot, I would be like, I'm not like doing the thing that like is the yoga teacher thing. And I would like, I would be like, why does that matter? Like your yoga can be, going on a walk for one day, and then it can be going to the class the next day, or it could be meditating and sitting still for 10 minutes. It also can be like my meditation sometimes is just a walking meditation without my phone, walking outside. Like I need the movement. And Mm -hmm. I think there was a lot of resistance in that of like being like, it doesn't look perfect, but like we created that, you know, as a society, we like decided this is what it should look like. So, you know. You yeah, have to remind I'm, yourself.
1: I'm so glad you you said that because it's very true. Some days the meditation is going to be the answer. Other days it might make it worse. <laughs> so totally putting on some loud music and just like rage dancing around your room is actually more effective than bypassing and going straight to the meditation. And right. I would say nine times out of 10, if I take a yoga class or I just do yoga by myself in my
0: room... I will always feel better. Yeah, always. if you do like five sun salutations, yeah, it's just like moving the energy. It's uh-huh. like that's the thing that I think people they're like, oh god, yoga, like it's so this, and I'm like, at the end of the day, it's just like a movement practice that moves mm-hmm. energy through your body. You can choose to like not call it energy. You can choose to call it whatever you want to call it, stress, like I don't know, you know. But mm-hmm. at, that's what it does. Is it like gets you into movement, and like we've now learned obviously that movement is like this. Crucial part of mental health. I mean, yeah, somatic experiencing. Yeah, you have to do it, or you it just stays there. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I mean, <laughs> I think that's a big reason why people lean into other things to mm, to soo- numb to numb. Like, I think that's why, like, food, weed, alcohol, whatever you want, like, whatever. Mm-hmm. I think we've been told that, like, there's like a lie a little bit that we were all sold that you know, this whole thing of like working out and moving your body was very like woo-woo or like it's not accessible to everybody. And sure, it isn't accessible to everyone, but going on a walk, if you have the luxury of being able to like spend 15 minutes outside, that is going to make you feel better.
1: Mm-hmm. Like
0: that's gonna make you feel better. It's it's not gonna be life-changing, but it's gonna make you feel better in oh, a yeah. way. Yeah, in a way that is like very- different than I think a lot of the other things were sold, you know, on on the internet.
1: Yeah. Connecting with nature, getting fresh air, the sun, Mm -hmm, (laughs) hearing birds
0: sing. Yeah. And just being able to be present. It makes you Mm -hmm. like be able to be present, which I think we also have lost a lot of with just the modern world.
1: Well, presence is scary to be still, to be present with what is like, that's terrifying.
0: Yeah. A lot of the time. I, you know, we've talked about this, but when I chose to take an extended break from drinking, when I like first started, I remember feeling like, like a raw, like nerve. (laughs) Like I would go to these events and I'm like, I know how to connect with people. Like I, that's my job. I, I think as an actor to some degree, you know, your job is to connect to the story, connect to the people around you. Um, same with teaching. Like, I think you really have to be present and connect with your students, but I would go to these weddings. I would go to these like social gatherings and I would feel like, have I lost the ability to like connect? Cause I'm like not Mm -hmm. drinking. Mm -hmm. And like, I hadn't lost that, but like, I had become so like socialized in that, like when you're connecting with your adult friends, you have a drink in your hand. That was like, there was like a brain connection. Like you always have a drink in your hand and that's the way that you are like sharing with your adult friends in person. Mm. And I think having to remove that made me be like, "Whoa, this is something that we are doing. Like we're all collectively on board with this. And at the root of it, we all just want to hang out with our friends and talk to them and like feel loved by them and love them. So why do I need to like put a substance in my hand to do that?
1: yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, Can you elaborate more on your decision to stop drinking and the um, just the whole journey of that?
0: Yeah. So my decision to stop drinking was very long and winding as I think <laughs> many people's are.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but I knew, like I knew in my early twenties that I was somebody who operated at a different level that I would go from like zero to a hundred very quick. I like really lived that life. I don't have regrets over like anything that I did, but I remember this like really deep inkling in me being like, one day this is going to be a problem or one day you're going to have to shift this. And Mm -hmm. so it was interesting because I knew that, like I knew it deep down and I kind of kept like I wouldn't ignore it, but I would be like, okay, like you're fine. You're 24. Everyone's doing this. Everyone who's 24 is doing this. All of your friends are doing it. You know, like all of my friends were doing that. Um, And in New York, everybody is drinking all the time. I mean, you're either sober, like you've been sober for 20 years, or you are like at the bar and it's a noon on noon on a Tuesday, you know? Yeah. Um, And and all you have to do
1: is stumble home on the subway. There was no accountability really of
0: like, oh, maybe I should stop drinking right now. Yeah. There's like, I mean, you can go to everywhere you go. There's some place that's serving alcohol. You don't have to drive. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I was an artist and worked really odd jobs. So like there were days that I would have like a Thursday off, you know? And so I would meet my friends, all my actor friends, and we would like drink at Blockheads and then we would like (laughs) go to therapy. And then we would like therapy is a gay bar. It's not actually therapy, but (laughs) I think I also probably went to therapy a little buzz. So there's that. Um, And yeah. So like um, I think just throughout my 20s, I, I had this inkling and, and it it wasn't really until I I had surgery on my vocal cords. I had pseudocysts removed, um, which was a pretty common singing injury. And I took it really seriously. So the three months after I was supposed to not be in really loud spaces, which is so hard in New York. So I didn't eat out or anything. I just ate at home and I um, couldn't talk for 10 days and I had to go to speech therapy and voice therapy. And it was really an amazing experience It taught me so much about singing, but I also gave up alcohol the whole time. So it was about a hundred days. And mm-hmm. I remember reading books. I was like reading books on, um, people who had stopped drinking. Cause I was just really intrigued by how I felt. And I was 26 at the time. So 26 going into 27 and I had done dry January, um for all those doing dry january out there good luck <laughs> you're going to be you're going to feel great but i had done dry january like almost every year since i moved to new york so i had done that i had done like 30 days but it had always been about like vanity like i was like i'll do this and i will you know lose a couple pounds it hadn't really been about like the alcohol itself and what it was doing to my brain and my mental health but basically during that 3 months after my surgery i was like i feel radically different like wow. r- i felt like happier more energy i'd lost weight which was just a side effect but i think it was because i also was like treating myself better um mm. and you know i'm very body like neutral now but in the past i had struggled with an eating disorder and the alcohol really fed into that so the losing weight at that time was really a positive reinforcement now i think losing and gaining weight is just a part of your life and we need to like celebrate being in bigger bodies way more. Um, It's like a journey that I'm on, but it, at -hmm. the time it felt like a great side effect, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it was interesting, but I think I really, it's like I looked back at that time and I still think about how much my brain chemistry shifted and I don't think I even knew, but I felt I was not having anxiety the way that I had for years prior I was not having the dips of like, you know, I would have depression basically Sunday through Tuesday because I would be drinking Friday and Saturday mm-hmm. so that it was like 3 days of being depressed. Um and I think I just realized that I was like, wow, this is really cool and then I went to Miami with my four friends and I got wasted for the entirety of my birthday. It was 4 days. It was a great trip, but it was like so funny that like I knew that in the time like I could feel the difference and I still wasn't ready to give it up like I was not ready to let it go I thought that it was this like huge um defining part of my personality Mm -hmm. 100 percent. I was like I'm fun I'm the girl that everybody wants to party with I go out until five and it's great (laughs) um and and it was fun there were a lot of things that were fun about it but there was a lot that was happening below the surface and behind the scenes that was like pretty devastating to me personally um so i think that was funny because i was like 26 27 and like 5 years later i didn't stop i is when i stopped so it still took like an extra 5 years to really explore what that meant but it made me sober curious like i was like sober mm-hmm. curious at 26 and I would take breaks and I would read books and I got really into the moderation world online. I was like Ruby Warrington and like these people who had talked about that. I was like listening to their podcasts, and I was reading these, like the alcohol experiment and like, um, these different books kind of kept, I would be like, oh, I want to read that. And, you Did know, you know, quit like a woman, quit like a woman Holly a couple Whittaker. years ago. Yeah. Holly Whitaker, yeah. like all these people kind of like, I was starting to get on the algorithms <laughs> Mm. And I would be, and and like, this is later. Cause I, in that time, there really wasn't a lot of conversation around quitting. It, when when even you quit like out, sober
1: curiosity, curious, that was there not was, a thing.
0: Yeah, there wasn't. And so I think I just didn't have the tools, but I, I mean, I did have, I really had like an inkling early on. Um, and I still, you know, I, I listened to that Drew Barrymore interview from last year where she's like um, you know, I'm not sober. I don't work a program, but like, I just can't do alcohol. Like I can't do Mm. it. That is like my addiction. I just, it's like, and I feel the same way. Like I don't, I know that there's a lot of conversation around like using sobriety as a word. And like, I know for some people it's very triggering because it's like, well, you're not really sober. And for me, I'm like, I don't care what you are, but like, if you're doing things that are good for you, I like celebrate that for you. Mm. (laughs) Um, but I think yeah, in the beginning it was really interesting because I just I had almost wanted somebody to come to me and be like, "You can decide to just not drink for six months and you don't have to like, oh like claim it and own it as your as your thing. Um, but I never got that. you know, I would have friends come to me and be concerned about my drinking, but then they would immediately follow that up with, but I don't think you need to stop drinking. And it was interesting because it was like, it's confusing and everybody is so afraid to hurt someone's feelings by calling them an addict. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. what if we just like shifted the narrative and was like, hey, this isn't your fault. Like, Mm. there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing that's like, you're not a bad person because you struggle with this. Like so many people struggle with drinking. Mm -hmm. Most Most people in my life have struggled with drinking, I would say, at this point. Um, and there's a lot of power in being like, I will just tell people, I'm like, I'm not the best version of myself when I drink. And I think everybody knew it and everybody was afraid to say it. Mm. And I'll just say that to people now. And they're like, wow, like, I think that's me too. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, I think it is more people than you think,
1: you know? Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's almost as if that seed was planted in you
1: and then it needed time to germinate, and grow. And now that you have seen the, the flowers blooming, you're able then to show others, Hey, if this is something you're even considering, then you can also have a
0: beautiful garden. <laughs> yeah, no. And also like, it feels so hard to make the decision. Like I think, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you experienced this, but I know for me, I kept being so scared to like, say the decision out loud, like to Mm -hmm. say, I'm not drinking right now. I would kind of like, hide, like hide for a little bit. Like I would pretend to be drinking. I would like get a seltzer water and like, pretend to be drinking to just not have to have the conversation. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. like, then I was like, I have to tell people like, I, you know, travel a lot. I travel with a lot of the same people. And I was like, I just have to share this because like, it's a big part of my life right now. And I think it was really interesting how like I could tell somebody like, I'm not drinking because I like, I don't know, I'm like, n- I'm on antibiotics and people will use that as like a lie. And my the amount of times people ask me if I was pregnant in the mm-hmm. beginning, which is so funny because <laughs> I'm not partnered, but like, they would be like, are you pregnant? And it's like, there's so many reasons why people don't drink. Like, mm-hmm. so like, and I think this world, once you're in it, you see, you, you kind of get, a really amazing view of like all these reasons why people choose to not drink and how liberating it is to be like, I just don't drink because I don't like it.
1: And I think it's crazy how alcohol is the only drug that yes. is considered weird that you don't do. Yeah. You alcohol is like, partake,
0: And it's the only thing where people ask you why you're not drinking. No one's like, yeah. why aren't you doing heroin with me? <laughs> like no one says that to you. No one's right. like, Oh, why, why aren't you doing heroin? It's like, what? Like this. And again, this is like, (laughs) there's no judgment for anybody who drinks still. I think, I think there is a world in which people can drink at a very healthy level and it doesn't affect them the same way it affected me. And everybody has their own journey and their own like path. But Mm -hmm. it was just funny to me that like, I had had multiple incidents that were traumatic and problematic and not safe throughout my drinking. And it was still something that people asked why I wasn't doing it Hmm. you know and I was like Mm -hmm. this is the only thing that we give to people that we allow them to behave in a way that is subpar it's the only thing that we have like legalized to be like here's this thing where when you drink it you're going to forget what you're doing sometimes you're going to make decisions you'd never make sober you might get Mm -hmm. behind a car god forbid knock on wood and drive and you know you are going to get in fights with people you're going to be emotionally erratic you're like oh there's like a laundry list of things that when you drink you do and you hurt other people yeah. like you just you just do you hurt other people and you hurt yourself and i had done mm-hmm. that time and time again and i was like i'm just so sick of the hamster wheel
1: yeah it was and, such a hamster wheel and would you say that the decision to stop drinking i say i broke up with drinking like yeah, I,
0: I broke alcohol up was my last
1: codependent relationship <laughs> and I broke up with it and I have felt so liberated since. But I also think that, um, it's, it's helped me trust myself implicitly. Would you feel,
0: would you say that you feel the same way? Yeah. I think I have such a deeper relationship with myself than I mm-hmm. ever did. And yeah, I trust myself implicitly. I also trust my decisions way more. And I trust what I say way more. Like, I feel like in particular for me, and I've never been diagnosed as having severe anxiety. Although like, I think all of the signs point to that. (laughs) Um, Hmm. And my therapists have been like, this is something that we need to maybe explore, but I would like drink, you feel good for like 20 minutes to an hour. And then the immediate fall of the dopamine would send me into like a nervous like cycle. And I think I would like seek out connection with people and like agree to do things I didn't really want to do and like say things I didn't really want to say, but like, I just needed somebody there with me, you know, like, and I, I do, I think that now that I don't do any of that, I mean, not that I don't, I'm not perfect, but it's so much less than it was. I'm like, wow, I really like trust my core being. Mm-hmm. way more and i like like myself way more <laughs> like i was like wow i i mean it makes me a little teary but it's like sad to think about how much i really like had to hate myself to put myself in those situations and like i really hope that people who are going through it cuz i know how hard it is know that there's like a completely other way to live your life and i don't think it has to be forever that's why i've always said like i'm sober curious cuz like i don't the idea that something is forever is really scary i think for a lot of people and i think it's hard to commit to forever but like committing to like not drinking for a day is really powerful and i mm-hmm. always say that to people i'm like you don't have to make a huge life change if you drink four days a week and there's one day a week that you just want to cut out, that's still huge progress, like huge progress. But yeah, I think you really have to get in with yourself. Like you got to get cozy with yourself when you are in any kind of sobriety journey or any kind of like self-discovery journey, because you, at the end of the day, you have to like wake up and go to bed with you. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you have to yeah. do that. And it's really hard. And it's, I I commend people who have not drank so much because I am like, it's been a really great year, but it's been like, 400 and I think 63 days of also, yeah. But like, it's been like 463 days of being like every single day I have to have this conversation with myself and I Mm -hmm. can't like choose to numb out today because Mm -hmm. it doesn't work for me. You know, there's other Mm -hmm. things like I often, I love my coffee. I love my sweets, but like, (laughs) it's so different than my relationship with alcohol was, which I think is really Mm -hmm. telling. Like I can have two cookies and stop. I was hard for me to have two glasses of wine and stop. It was mm-hmm. hard. Yeah. I didn't want it. I didn't want it to stop. And I think that's when, you know, this is something that's like festering. It's, it's hitting something deeper in me that other things don't have access to. And that's scary. Cause I think it can let in a lot of like negative energy. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it definitely can. Yeah, I would I would say getting I like that phrase getting cozy with yourself is really looking at yourself in the mirror and choosing to say I love you regardless. Mm-hmm. I'm here for you and even
0: when it's uncomfortable. Yeah, even and it's really uncomfortable. It's so it's like you said it's a so, raw nerve. It's a raw nerve and it's funny cuz some people in my life and I don't think nobody meant anything Um, by it. But I don't think a lot of people understand how emotionally unnerving it is to go through all of these things and not drink when you have been a drinker like me. Mm -hmm. And so for some people, they were like, oh, it's not a big deal. You're not drinking. And I'm like, no, actually, like it's a huge deal because I never did any of these things before without relying on alcohol being there. Like it was that constant for, for all of those activities, it was always involved. And like, I think having to like in the morning, like if I know I'm going to like a wedding or I'm going, if I'm going to an event, it's like any other day, except for like, sometimes you wake up and you just have social anxiety because you're like a normal person. Mm-hmm. And so the wedding seems like it's going to be hard. And I think a lot of people will be like, the wedding's going to be hard, but I'm going to power through because I'm going to drink seven glasses of Sauvignon Blanc. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well then mm-hmm. now <laughs> I have to go. Yeah, now I have to go to the wedding and just have it be hard. Yeah, yes. That's just that, you know? I like just have has- to sit in that discomfort. <laughs> yeah, just have to be uncomfortable while other people are happy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. but, but it's yeah. like- Yeah. You have to, you, you have to show up for yourself that way. And that can be really hard. And I think like, if I could look back, the thing I would say would be like, there is in the discomfort, there is always going to be a tremendous amount of growth at some point. Like that is something that I wish people had said to me. I think we, we were even even now, like with people in my life, I think there's this idea, like, oh, I don't want it to. I want to, I want to tiptoe around talking about about drinking with Elise because I don't want her to feel like pressure, or I don't want her to feel like she she never has the opportunity to drink again. And I'm like, I am I make that decision for myself, regardless mm-hmm. of what anybody thinks or says or, you know, wants to think about it. I like know for me that it is the most Impressive. One of the most impressive things I've ever done. That's like what, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, but you have to have like the ability to be so like in yourself mm-hmm. to make that decision and to keep it because people are going to pressure you. <laughs> It's like weird, but like, and they don't and even it, realize it. They either. don't even realize it. They don't realize it. And they will ask you and drunk people will ask you a hundred times if you want to drink. They will, they're, they're trying to be nice, but like, you're like, no, I don't, I'm not drinking. And they're like, oh, mm-hmm. but do you want to drink? And you're like, no, <laughs> like, no. There's a part of me that does, but a larger part yeah. of me that does not. <laughs> yeah. There's, and and I think that's, that's another thing that we, I don't know. I know we've talked about this, but I say like, I don't know, maybe in a year I will feel like I'm someplace and I want to have a glass of champagne with a person that I love. And it doesn't feel the same way that it felt. And I think that's the difference is like doing this kind of work, you can kind of undo the attachment you had to it Mm -hmm. in a way that is different than maybe Mm -hmm. it will be in the future. And I also think like time, time and space and where you're at in your life can affect all this. Like I think for me in this place where there's a lot of like moving pieces and I don't know where I want to live and my jobs are shifting. It's like, that's not a great time to drink because it just Mm -hmm. makes me anxious. I'm already anxious about those things. Maybe in five years when I feel more settled and I feel a little bit more in control of my emotions and I'm I don't know like on a boat off of like the coast of Italy I'll feel <laughs> I'll feel like sure this is a moment where having a drink feels aligned with who I am right now. Mm, I and think it-
1: that is the most perfect way to say it. Does it feel aligned? Mm-hmm. And do I feel resourced enough within myself to make this decision from a place of love? As opposed right. to I'm fearing that I'm going to miss out or I, I, I'm
0: fearful in general, so I need to have a glass of wine. And do you feel like you're like, – uh, this is a good question because I know you are on this journey too, but have you felt like when you look back, wouldn't you say that like eight out of 10 times the drinking didn't feel aligned, but you did it anyway? Yes. yes. Oh, absolutely. When I do the reflection, I'm like, okay, I can literally look back at events and be like, these were times that like, it didn't feel right. And I just did it anyway. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to do that with anything in my life, not just with alcohol, but I don't want to do anything. That's like, oh, I just did it anyway. Yeah. You know?
1: Yeah. Well, that's um, that self-worth talking and you can't get to that level of self-worth unless you've done the work. Totally. And I know both you and I talk about this a lot, like the amount of work that we do every day and whenever I see you, you have some new insight about like, oh, I discovered this about myself, and it's like that's so cool that we can do the work, we can get to that place of worthiness within ourselves. And then the drinking, we we, it's, it's as if the drinking was just a band aid that we're now able to to rip it off yeah. and be like, it's fine, I don't need this anymore. Where some people kind of start backwards. I had a friend tell me, I I I it took me a long time to realize that the drinking wasn't the issue. It was all the underlying things that I wasn't looking at below the surface. That was actually the issue. So you can stop drinking all you want, but it isn't until you do the work that you realize, Oh, that's the reason I was drinking in the first place.
0: Yeah, totally. It's like, wow.
1: Yeah. So in a way the work and self love, um, makes the drinking, it, it's, I don't know, I'm, I'm having a hard time saying this. It like works in my head and then I'm trying to say it, no, 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 and it no, doesn't it's, come out. It's, it yeah, makes it's, the drinking easy, to like the lack of drinking easy to do.
0: Yes. It's like the, I think because, and this again, like I am not a, I'm not a doctor. I'm not like a sobriety coach. But I think what I've seen by just watching and and intaking content from those people is that like at the root of it is like, you want like emotional sobriety. <laughs> mm. It's like, it's like, you're trying to get rid of the attachment. Like, what are you doing to like deflect, right? Like all of the mm-hmm. feelings you feel. Okay. So that could be a number of things. It's not just alcohol or drugs, It's like all the things. Right. And I think when you start to do the work on like, Oh, I'm like sad because of X, Y, and Z, or I'm, I realize I don't, I really don't love myself very Mm -hmm. much. And because I don't love myself, I'm letting all this other stuff kind of take over and like ruin my self-worth because I think it's going to make me feel better. And I think, oh, it leads to connection and it leads to being cool or it leads to being in the right rooms with the right people. And so when you start to do that work and you realize, oh, it has nothing to do with the drinking, it has everything to do with you. Mm -hmm. then it it is a lot easier to not drink. Like I don't really, there are moments that I think are like, there are definitely moments that are still hard for me with the not drinking, but it's mostly the nostalgia of like feeling that, like that ability to hold a glass of champagne or tequila soda with my friends on vacation or like in a room full of them dancing and singing triggers a a memory, a really happy Mm -hmm. memory for me. And so it's still hard for me sometimes to not be like, Oh, well, because I'm not going to have that drink, that means it's not going to be fun. That's actually not true. I I just, am going to be holding like a soda water instead, (laughs) but the feeling is going to be the same. Like I'm still going to feel like that euphoric fun time. But Uh I think, I think that's like, those are the moments that are hard for me, but like everyday life now, it's not hard for me to like not drink. Like, I don't think about the not drinking at like a dinner or like Mm -hmm. the same way that like I would maybe before. Um, and I think that is, that does come from doing a lot of the work on yourself, um, Mm -hmm. to get to that place where you feel just happier. Yeah. Um, It's, it's funny how it has been sold to us as this thing to like make you relax and also give you this euphoric, it's like everything is enhanced with it, and I think I think things can be enhanced with it if you are in an excellent mental state, mm. and I think like 99% <laughs> of people are not in an excellent mental no. state, so using it for every single thing is just going to make things harder. Yeah, it's dangerous. It's dangerous, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm really proud of you, Elise. I didn't realize
1: it had been how many days? 463? i think yeah <laughs> that's amazing Thanks. that is so really really great um yeah i i do i think it is a testament to your your ability to lean into love um for yourself for others and um yeah <laughs>
0: just I just feel I'm proud of you too I feel grateful I feel like we found each other at a really nice time in life because yeah. we we both like were having our own journeys with this but also both performers both teachers both like coming yoga backgrounds mm-hmm. yoga teachers like I think there's a lot there that is in sync and also it's like, really important to have a friend who like inspires you and you really inspired me to like look mm-hmm. at my own relationship with alcohol and like in a nice way. I think that's the thing that's really hard. Is like there's a lot of people who are like, just don't drink. And you're like, it's not that easy, you know? Mm-hmm. And also like sometimes you don't want to do the things that you need to do. Yeah. Right oh my gosh. I know. Time to find it on your own. So I think I'm also very proud of you and grateful for you and your friendship.
1: Oh, likewise. Yeah, I think it's it it has made it easier to know, like, well, Elise and I are in the same boat. We've got this. Yeah, We're doing it together. I mean, like,
0: Gina and I are both <laughs> try sober girlies, trying to get it together. Yeah. (laughs) Just
1: always in life, trying to get it together. And then this element makes us go, all right, we've, we've got this. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Right on. Well, before we end, I want to ask you a few questions. Um, where do you,
0: what actually, what are some of your future goals? Future goals. I would like to, I want to launch my own podcast. That's my 2024, 2024 goal <laughs> is to launch my own podcast, I want to do a podcast. Um, and I want to, um, I would love to be a part of, or create a performing arts center that, has like wellness practices at its core and is really focused on training instead of product. Um, so that's mm-hmm. like a, that I would really love to do that. And I think it can look a lot of different ways. It might be like implementing or building a program at a larger theater already that's already established or at a school, but I also could see it being its own <clears throat> um entity. And then I want to be the star of a sitcom TV show. So putting it <laughs> out there. Yes. Cool. Yeah. I like just want to do fun comedy. I think the world like needs a lot of that right now. And I yeah. like like making people laugh, but I think when I do audition, I find myself just being like, I like the stuff that's funny and yeah. real. And I would, so those are my my three big goals. They're all big, but that's okay.
1: Yeah. I see it all for you. I mm-hmm. see it all. You're just such a boss lady. You say something and then it happens. I've seen that. That's a pattern of yours is that you're like, I'm going to do this. And you do it. And I'm like, yes, girl, get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. What uh, What favorite books do you have right now that you're either reading or that you've
0: recently read? Okay. Um, favorite books. Uh, let's do Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by... Um, um mm, Tomorrow, 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 which is really great. My friend Eddie uh told me to read it and I'm so grateful I did. It's by Gabrielle Zavane. Zavine, I hope I said that right. Um I love atomic habits. I'm still reading it. Is that James Beard? I hope it is. Um uh, uh James Clear. Oh my God, James Beard. Ha. Huh. Um <laughs> James Clare, Um, and then I'm reading this really fun trilogy, like rom, like romantic, like comedy book. Okay, (laughs) Um, and it's super, super fun. I'm on the third installment, and the first one is called Mile High, and it's by Liz Tom Ford. So she has three books. There's like they're they're really good reads and really fun. and Five Star Weekend. Five Star Weekend is a great book. Um, also a kind of a quote unquote lighter read, but really um, just like meaningful um, by Aelyn Hildebrand. She's written a lot of books, a lot of books, um, but I loved it because it's about a woman who loses her husband and she invites five girlfriends from different stages of her life to their beach house to like have a five star weekend. Um, and there's some twists and turns, so in there, but it's a really, I was like, this is a great plot, like a great storyline. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll link all of those. And yeah, the I notes. read, I read a lot, so I'm, I'm into it. Awesome. I love it. Um, and then finally, where can
0: listeners find you online? You can find me on the gram, um, Instagram that is it's <laughs> at Elise, E-L-I-S-E underscore aren't A-R-N-D-T. A-R-N-D-T. And then I am on TikTok. Um, a child made my TikTok account and my username like four years ago. So it is um Miss uh, at miss underscore Elise 3490. So at Miss Elise underscore three four nine zero and then my website um is gonna be relaunching. So mm, that's um, exciting. Yes, relaunching. So I can give you that, but it'll be elisearnt.com. Um, okay, so, perfect. Yeah.
1: Again, I'll link all of this. And then I lied. I said that was the final question, wish- but this is the actual final question. So what does it mean to lead a
0: life leaning into love? That's a great question. Um, I think it means that you show up authentically as yourself in service of others and You are able to create a space around you that other people want to be a part of.
1: So, like inclusivity, authenticity creates inclusivity. And yeah, um, yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. I love it. Thank you. I love it too. Thank (laughs) you so much, Elise. Uh, we're ending this episode and I just looked up and it's eleven eleven. 11 so I have a feeling <laughs> that this is, this is perfectly meant to be.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Bye, Gina. <laughs> Bye, Elise. Thank you for listening to the Lean Into Love podcast. And thank you for taking the time to learn how to be a little bit more compassionate with yourself. A small amount certainly goes a long way. If you enjoyed what you heard today, I invite you to work with me inside the Self Love Club, a one-on-one virtual coaching program where you'll learn how to love yourself more fully through holistic and integrative wellness practices. Each session is specifically designed to fit your goals and needs. Visit theyogina.com and book a free discovery call so we can create a roadmap of how we'll get you there today. And if you haven't already, hit subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. If you enjoyed your time here, rate and review this podcast. That way other souls on their journey back home to themselves can learn from people like you. Until next time, keep leaning into love. And remember, you are worthy, you are loved, and you are never alone.